John chapter 17 is where we're headed. Would you go there with me? John 17. John chapter 17 this morning. Questions for you to think about as we get started here before we look at the passage before us. Were the disciples better off when Jesus was with them? Were they better off when Jesus was with them? Would they be worse off after Jesus was crucified? Are we worse off because we don't have Jesus with us as the disciples did for a time? Are we somehow less cared for by God than they were? Would it have been better for us to live in the day of the disciples and to have walked with Christ? Followers of Christ living in the world that we live in need answers to important questions like those. Thankfully, these are the kinds of questions that the passage before us answers this morning. Would you look at verses 11 through 13? Look as we continue our look at the prayer of Jesus found here in John chapter 17. Look at verses 11 through 13 as I read, where Jesus prays, And I am no longer in the world but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now... I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now we're seeing here another reason Jesus is praying for his disciples. What Jesus is praying about, we've known is coming. Jesus has been telling the disciples, and they've known this is coming. And now in verse 11, he prays as if it's already done. What is it? Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. See, until now, Jesus had been with them to care for them. He had been with the disciples to protect them, to provide for their needs. But now, now Jesus... He's going to be leaving them soon. And as he looks ahead to what will soon be his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he prays for them because he he knows he's no longer going to be with them in this world in which they live, in which they're going to remain. Jesus prays to the Father, and I am coming to you. Right about then, I wonder how the disciples felt. (laughs) You're leaving. We know you are. You've been telling us, and now you're praying to the Father, telling the Father you're leaving. This is the way it has to be. This is all part of God's plan for bringing salvation to all who believe in the Son, but also a part of God's plan is that the disciples and all who would believe in Christ as a result of their ongoing ministry would remain in the world. That, too, is a part of God's plan. He says, but they are in the world. 
I'm leaving. I'm, I'm leaving. But they remain. They're staying here. I'm leaving. They're not. So in light of the fact that Jesus' disciples are to remain in the world, how does Christ pray for them? How does he pray for them? Well, he prays. Noted here. He prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Do you see here how Jesus is is pointing the disciples back to the Father? Do you see here how he is directing their attention to the Father and away from himself? He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. These disciples of Christ, and listen, all who are disciples of Christ are the Father's own possession. If you're Christ, you're the Father's also. They have been given to the Son by the Father. Now it's as if Christ returns them to the Father for safekeeping. And it's for their good, and it's for ours, that we see the care and the keeping that God the Father provides. We need to see this today. We need to hear this today. Are we worse off because we don't have Jesus here on earth with us? This passage of Scripture is going to help us answer that question with a confident, no, we're not worse off. Until now, you see, Jesus had been with them, with those disciples, to care for them, to protect them, to provide for their needs. But now, Jesus is going to be leaving them soon. So how does the Father do this keeping work? Note that Jesus says in verse 11, this interesting thing he says in verse 11, that they may be one. That they may be one. So it's clear that the oneness that believers enjoy in Christ with one another as followers of Christ, that is part of God's keeping work. And how are Christ's followers going to be one? I mean, this is part of God's keeping work, that his followers be one. How are Christ's followers going to be one? He says, even as, look at it in verse 11, even as we are one. Now, how are the Father and the Son one? Well, if we, if we look at the Word, and if you know the Word, you know that there are several things in the Scriptures that point to the oneness of, of God the Father and God the Son. And we can see the oneness of the Father and the Son throughout the Scriptures in many ways. Let me just list a few of them for you. First of all, we know that Christ is the very image of the invisible God, right? Secondly, we know that Christ came to do the Father's will. He came from heaven. He came from heaven to do the Father's will. Thirdly, we know that Christ gives the words to his disciples, but not his own words, the words his Father had given him to give to his followers. Fourthly, we know that Christ is the head of the church, and the church being called the body of Christ. Fifthly, we know that we know also that Christ is our mediator. 
We saw a glimpse of that last week when we were reminded that Christ intercedes for us. We see, we see him here praying for the disciples. It's a reminder that, that when Christ resides in heaven shortly after this point when he's praying with them, he's going to be interceding at the Father's right hand on their behalf and for, and, and for ours. And then sixthly, we also know from here in chapter 17 that all that the Father has are the sons. And all that are the sons are the fathers. There's a thread of unity between the Father and the Son throughout the Scriptures, and again and again and again we see it. So we can see in many examples from God's Word that the Father and the Son are one. And one thing this helps us see very clearly, I think, is that they are one in purpose. They are one in purpose. Now that's important for us to understand. That's important for us to grasp. And on that thought, we're most helped here to understand that God intends to make us one. If we're his children, if we're followers of Christ, God intends to make us one in Christ and united for his purposes. So part of the way in which the Father does this keeping work is by blessing us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Part of the way God intends to work through his church and work through his people is to do this keeping work by blessing us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's true, we are especially blessed when we are unified in Christ. We are unified as the body of Christ, the church, together, guided by God the Spirit over the over the purposes of the Father, right? Guided into the truth, guided to do the work that the Father has set forth for us to do as His church, as His people. What blessings are, are ours when we partake of that, when we're a part of that. So obviously it's important to seek to be one with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? How important it is to seek to be one with one another as the Father and the Son are one, especially as we see it very clearly, they are one in purpose. We ought to be one in purpose. We ought to be one together all about the Father's goals for us here, the work that he has given us to do. That brings us back to how it is that followers of Christ are to be made one. And we can see it in what Jesus prays here when he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. You see, Jesus' disciples would be one as they each, as individuals, put their faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His disciples would be one as they each were seeking to glorify the name of God as they walked in obedience to Christ. So as Jesus prays for his disciples that they may be one in so doing. He points to one of the ways which believers are kept, which believers are cared for, provided for, protected, as we remain in this world. We need each other. And we need one another to be unified under the purposes of God. You just think of it. When we as God's children unite in oneness of purpose... And for that reason, to glorify God and glorify the name of God in this world, we will be greatly encouraged. 
we will be greatly provided for and helped and, and a multitude of blessings will be ours when we are unified with God's people over the purposes of God in this world. When we deviate from His plan, we're going to be miserable. And even as I say that, you might realize you're miserable. I can be there too, right? We human beings can be distracted by this world's affairs, by the things going on around us. I mean, just think of it. There's great blessing that's ours when we're unified together as the body of Christ around the purposes of God for the glory of God and the praise of His name. But how miserable we are when we deviate from His plans when we deviate from His purposes, when we remove ourselves from following the Word of God, we're going to be like scattered sheep. But God intends, part of the keeping work that God intends, God intends to do that keeping work in us, providing for our needs, encouraging us as we gather together to practice our oneness in Christ, and it takes practice, doesn't it? Do you all see it my way? I mean, I don't always see it your way, right? You look around. You can see people that you don't always agree with on everything, right? We can easily be fractured. We can easily be scattered in our purposes if we aren't centered on the purposes of God. If we aren't centered on the fact that the the Son and the Father are one in purpose, and we had better be two. You see, this is one of the ways in which God intends to encourage us. We remove ourselves from the, the encouragement that God would provide if we refuse to work together for the purposes of God's glory, glory to His name. We remove ourselves from the blessing that would be ours. See, this is one of the ways in which God intends to encourage us, equip us, and prepare us for faithful service as we live in the midst of a, of a difficult world, a world that's lost and on edge without Christ. And we ought to be brokenhearted for a world that's lost and on edge without Christ. And we ought to be about showing them Christ. We ought to be about obeying His Word and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, in the unity of the body of Christ. So, so Jesus' prayer is that his disciples be kept in God's name and each be brought together in the body of Christ, the church, and be made one, unified in purpose, and all for the glory of God's name. So that his name goes further and further into this world in which we live so that more and more people hear the name of God proclaimed and see his glory and believe in his son. That is still the Lord's desire for his disciples today. Our unity in the name of God, just as God the Father and Son are one, makes us stronger and glorifies God in this world that is so individualistic and disjointed. See, without Christ, there is no unity. It's, it's one for all, 
right? It's, it's me. I'm looking out for number one. Without Christ, there's no unity. The church ought not be like that. The church ought not be about looking around, trying to preserve our own space in this world, right? We ought to be about thriving together for God's glory. You see, in Christ, there is oneness in God's name, and we each believe in God's name, and we each honor God's name as we each take the name of God into this world by our obedience to the Word of God. So you, disciples of Christ who are living in the world now, are not worse off than the disciples were when they walked with Christ. No, just as they were kept by Christ when he was with them, and just as they are kept by God in his absence, so are you if you are God's child. And part of that keeping work is the, is the unity that we enjoy as we all come together for, for God's purposes. You see, the same God who keeps the disciples keeps you if you are his, and he wants you to honor his name. Enjoying the unity that's yours as we individual believers follow Christ and we come together united as the body of Christ. I mean, just think of it. Did Christ keep the disciples while he was with them? Absolutely. Did he care for them and provide for them and instruct them and guide them? Yes, he did. Absolutely. But note how Christ says that while he was with the disciples, he has kept them in God's name. He doesn't say, I've kept them in my name. He points back to God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been all about doing the Father's will. He has kept them in God's name. In all Jesus' ministry on earth and in all his keeping of them, he was always serving the Father. He was always honoring the Father. He was always obeying the Father. And so we are not worse off than the disciples because they had Christ with them for a time, and we do not, because all along Jesus was doing the Father's will. Jesus was serving the Father as he kept the disciples. In fact, Jesus graciously gave the disciples and us great confidence in God's protection of and provision for all of his own when he prayed this prayer in their midst. And we see it again in verse 13. Look at verse 13 again where Jesus says, But now... I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Jesus says, these things I speak in the world. Now, did Jesus need to pray these things out loud to be heard and answered by the Father? No, we didn't. Jesus didn't need to pray these things out loud, so why is he praying them out loud? For us. For the disciples, right? Now his purpose for praying in the presence of his disciples is made clear. It's for their benefit and ours that they hear him pray this. And thank the Lord that God saw fit to say, say this prayer through the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of his disciples, and and they would capture it for us in God's word. Why? Because we humans, we're interesting creatures. To put it nicely, give us something to hang on to and we'll have hope. Otherwise, 
we're not going to believe. <laughs> right? It's one of the reasons God's word is so good. If we will take hope and strength from the promises of God in his word. But we're fickle creatures. Give us something to hang on to, otherwise we've got no hope. Give us reason to believe, and we'll have faith. I mean, you just watch, you know, we, we watch our sports and our thing, and we, and we see our team in decline, and then all of a sudden they start winning. And that's just what we needed, right? We're just excited for them again. <laughs> We see that, we see the sparkle of hope, and we're, we're excited again. We have hope. Oh, how gracious of Christ to give his disciples and us these words. This must have given a measure of peace and comfort to the disciples as they were anticipating Jesus leaving them soon. He'd been telling them and preparing them for just that time. So he prays, and they hear him praying to the Father, Father, keep them in your name. I've been keeping them, now you keep them. Back into the loving care and provision of the Father's hands. So it's just as we heard in verse 12, these disciples have been put into the hands of Christ by God the Father, and He'd been, and He'd been keeping them. You see it there, except for the one, the son of destruction. You remember Judas. But that was Judas' doing. That was not God's doing, but it, but it was part of God's plan that the son be betrayed. See, Judas was not one of the twelve in the same sense that the eleven were with Christ. He departed, right? But it's just as we heard in verse 12, these disciples had been put into the hands of Christ by God the Father, and he had been keeping them. He had kept them in the Father's name on behalf of the Father, at the Father's instruction at the Father's orders, so to speak, right? And now he's going to be leaving them, so he turns their care back over to the Father, and there they will be kept safely in the Father's hands. I mean, just think of it. In the hands of Christ, were they in danger? Absolutely not. And no less so in the Father's hands. So it's just as we heard there. They will not be in danger They'll be in the Father's hands because Jesus Christ has been doing the work the Father gave him to do all along in the name of the Father. Are you a child of God? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you a child of God? If you are, then you too are kept by God. You're kept. Your salvation is secured by the sacrifice of Christ. And you are kept safely for all eternity in the hands of God. And do you see to what end Jesus gave them this encouragement and prayer and this assurance of being kept by the Father? Look at verse 13 again. It is that his joy, his joy, the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ, his joy would be their joy. Do you see it there in verse 13? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, why did the disciples need his joy fulfilled in themselves? Well, because they were prone to fear and doubt, right? They were prone to living glass half empty, right? And so are we. 
We need the joy of Christ fulfilled in us. Because we too are prone to fear and doubt as they were, but not Christ. Not Christ. Remember, this prayer is, is of victory. It's a victory prayer. Jesus looks ahead and he sees the cross and he does not see it as a defeat. No, Jesus sees the cross as victory over sin and hell and death for all who believe in him. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through, you know the rest, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to all who looked on that day, as Jesus hung on the cross, to those who looked on, the cross was defeat. It was a bad thing, to say the least, but not to Christ. It doesn't mean he didn't suffer. It, didn't, it doesn't mean that he wasn't in agony. He was. He did suffer. No, to Christ, it was for the joy of all who trust in him that he willingly went to the cross and suffered greatly and died there. It was for the joy of all who believe in him that he rose from the dead on the third day. It was for the joy of all who believe in him that he ascended to heaven and then sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit in his place, to live in and comfort and strengthen all the Father had given him. It was for our joy that Jesus obeyed the Father, and it is for our joy that we who believe in the Son are kept by the Father. And we need the joy of Christ, don't we? It's a difficult world we live in, and there is much that we would see steal our joy if we let it, if we didn't have the joy of Christ fulfilled in us as we are made one together in God's name with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we each daily trust in and depend upon the name of God. You see, and this is our confidence that we are kept by the same God that keeps the disciples for whom Jesus prayed. And in fact, this is the same, this is the same desire still that Christ has for his own. We are kept by the same God who sent his son to take our place, being punished for no sins of his own, but for ours. That's the God who keeps you if you have trusted in his son. That's the God who keeps you, the one who sent his son to be the sacrifice for your sins.